This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. And then you can put a a finger in Genesis 24. Matthew 20 and Genesis 24. So we're going to be reading here from Matthew 20, reading from verse 20 and following. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He was speaking about the the suffering that he was going to have to go through. And they said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard that they were greatly displeased with the two brothers, but Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that, in part, was Jesus' philosophy of ministry and of service. I want to talk to you today about having a servant's heart. And I'll not be able to finish it this morning, so I need to continue it and finish it this evening. Having a servant's heart. The world believes in service also, but it's self-serving. The world's philosophy is first and foremost self-serving. Grace said, I don't know who wrote this, but I picked it up somewhere years ago. Grace said, be wise, know yourself. Rome said, be strong, discipline yourself. Religion says, be good, conform yourself. Epicureanism says, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education says, be resourceful, expand yourself. Psychology says, be confident assert yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. Pride says, be superior, promote yourself. Asceticism says, be lowly, suppress yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Legalism says, be pious, limit yourself. Philanthropy says, be generous, release yourself. But Jesus says, Lose yourself, die to yourself, submit yourself, humble yourself, serve others, honor others, love others, give to others. What a difference 
Jesus' views on ministry, on service, were so radically different in this world and radically different than the religious establishment around him. Even his disciples were shocked at the things that Jesus said because they were never brought up to understand it that way. For instance, on forgiveness, Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. He says, no, I didn't say seven times, but 70 times seven. By that time, you'd have long since stopped counting, wouldn't you? Prayer. Jesus had such a radically different prayer life from the scribes and the Pharisees that his disciples says, Lord, teach us to pray. There's something about how you pray that we don't know anything about. So teach us how to pray like you pray. And so there's so many different facets of the ministry that Jesus spoke about. about possessions, his discussion with the rich young ruler uh, and how that it got right to the very heart of his problem and of, and of prayer and of, uh, and of love and of forgiveness and worship and all of these things were a million miles away from anything his disciples understood before. No wonder they were shocked sometimes with the statements that he made. But Jesus was marked out from among other men by something he exemplified, something he continually modeled before his disciples, and that was having a servant's heart. Jesus had a true servant's heart, and that's what he wants us to have, a true servant's heart. Leadership and servanthood are two sides of the same coin. The best leaders are the best servants, always. Now, servants may not always be in a position of leadership, but leaders are always in the position of being a servant. And when you get that into your head and get it into your heart, that no matter what God promotes you to in his kingdom, you're always and ever going to be a servant Underneath all of that, you're a servant. If anyone has a dream of being a leader in God's kingdom and doesn't desire a servant's heart, they are deluding themselves. And if they get into a position of leadership in the kingdom of God without a servant's heart, they're going to be deluding everybody else. You have to have a servant's heart. The context for those few verses we read in Matthew 20 is found in Luke 22, which you don't need to turn to. Because there was an argument, a dispute among the disciples of which of them should be considered the greatest. Now, apparently the disciples were not like us at all because they had ego problems. They had problems when it came to rank and status and position. And I know that none of us would ever be as carnal as that. <laughs> But the reality is, we are. And they were. Even with Jesus in the flesh, they could not resist the thought of this kingdom that he was going to set up and what their position of rank was going to be in it. And so Jesus had to <coughs> talk to them and tell them. And in John 13, as a, a wonderful example to them, do you remember how that he rose up from the table 
and he got a, a towel or an apron and he put it on and he got a basin of water and he bent down and he started to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter being Peter said, no, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. It never dawned on Peter that he should have been the one washing Jesus' feet. In fact, washing all their other feet. That even hadn't dawned on him. Obviously, there was nobody there to wash the feet, which there probably should have been at that time, a servant of some description, but there wasn't. So Jesus took up the, the place of a servant and humbled himself and bent down to wash the feet. And Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And that really shook him. And what he was trying to teach them is, hey, and he says, listen, I haven't come to be served, I've come to serve. If the master came to serve and exemplified a servant's heart, where does that leave you and me? Surely then we should be servants also. But do we want to wear the robes of a ruler or the apron of a servant? Obviously his disciples wanted to wear the robes of a ruler. They could see themselves ahead in positions of power. Now listen, there was going to be positions of authority for them. They were going to have thrones one day over the tribes of Israel. But not at this point. Neither servants. Do we desire the throne of authority more than the title of servanthood? In God's economy, the way of greatness is always the way of service. That's where we start. In Matthew 20, where we read, there was uh, two words that were used here. In verse 26, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Servant and slave. And Jesus used two words there. Diakonos is where we get the word deacon from. Servant. Diakonos. One who carries out the orders of another. One who waits upon tables. This is functional. It's practical. It's physical. It's actually doing something. There's so much needs to be done even in a physical, practical way in God's kingdom that we've got to roll up our sleeves and get stuck in and just do it. But the other word he uses was doulos. And doulos means bond slave. One who gives himself completely over to another. One who is completely owned by another. And that's relational. It's more than just functional. It's relational. It's more than just practical. It's having a relationship with the one who is completely owning you. And so Jesus was trying to teach them something here. He was their master. And he wanted a relationship with them. But he wanted them to be true servants. He wanted them to be true servants. But in John 15, if I may read you this, in verse 14 and 15. In 
John 15 and 14 and 15, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Then he says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you my friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, he didn't make that known to everybody, but he made it known to them. Do you remember times even in parables he taught, particularly when the scribes and Pharisees were there? And even his disciples didn't get the parable, but he took them aside and he told them privately, this is the interpretation, this is what I'm really saying. And so, you're my friends, if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all things I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. And so, even though, even though Jesus said, from now on, I'm going to call you my friends. Because we have such a relationship, it's more than just a servant. Because a servant can give orders, or sorry, a master can give orders, and a servant can do that, but there's no idea why he's to do that, or what the order was about. He just, he just fulfills that. But he says, I'm calling you friends because I want you to have relationship with me, and I'm going to let you in on things. I'm going to tell you stuff that the world doesn't know. And he does. We know stuff that the world doesn't know. They just don't know. But Christ reveals it to us through his spirit and through his word. Now, the Apostle Paul, in spite of that, the Apostle Paul in almost all of his letters introduces himself as a doulos of Jesus Christ, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And he had a wonderful, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, he didn't just say, I'm a friend of Christ. And he surely was, but I'm a bond slave of Christ. And so there's no contradiction here. We can be a bond slave completely and utterly owned by him and yet have a wonderful relationship with him and do all the practical stuff that needs done for his kingdom. So there really is no contradiction here. Understand that we are completely and utterly owned by him, yet we serve him for love's sake because we love him and we want to serve him. Now, having said all of that, I want to turn to Genesis 24 to show you one of the greatest servant hearts, particularly the Old Testament. Wonderful example of a servant's heart in Genesis 24. Now, Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, which, according to Genesis 15 and 2, would be Eliezer. He was his chief servant and had been for years. To the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Isaac, by the way, at this time was about 40 years old. And so obviously his father thought, it's time he got to move on here. This boy has been in this house a long time. We need to get him hitched. We need to get him a good wife. We need to get him started. 
because this was his son of promise. This is the one to whom the, the tribes would come through and eventually Christ himself would come through. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, he spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I will give this land and he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all that his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said to them, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman who, to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will give you also your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a drink, of, a drink a little water from your pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly left the pitcher down uh, to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, <coughs> ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold. And he said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Micah's son, Malchah's son, whom he, she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feet enough and room to lodge. And then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth from my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her, mother household, her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. And so it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he had heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there stood by the camels, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. 
Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels to water and water to wash the feet, his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And he said, speak on. Now let me just stop here a wee second. Maybe you could just pause this, John, just a wee second. All right, so from verse 34 all the way down to verse uh, 47 is the servant repeating the story when he got back to the house. So we'll, we'll skip that because this is a long chapter. Verse 48, And I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, please Sorry, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may return to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard the words that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And so they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah, and they said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O sister, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field that evening. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and she saw Isaac. She dismounted from her camel. For she said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And her servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her back into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. By the way, that is the longest chapter in Genesis. And you said, well, I figured that much. That really was a long chapter, wasn't it? And so here is this tremendous servant. And I want us just to have a little look just this morning, and I want to pick up on it again tonight about how he served, how this great servant's heart served his master. And this is how we should serve our master, the Lord Jesus. First of all, let's look at the, the attitudes, the attitudes that he had for service. You've got to have a right attitude. If your attitude is all wrong, you may do what you're supposed to do, but you'll not be blessed. You'll not get the same out of it. You've got to have a right attitude. Attitude can take you further than aptitude. 
really can. You could be good at doing things, but you need the right attitude. Being good at something is not quite the same as being pleasant while you're being good at something. You can be miserable doing something that's good. Don't you know that? You can be absolutely miserable doing something that you ought to do that's good and right to do. But if you have a wrong attitude, it sours it. It spoils it for you. Now, what you're doing may still affect what it's supposed to, but it spoils it for you. And God wants us to be blessed as we serve him. So you need a proper attitude. So he served with a proper attitude. He served willingly. Willingly. He couldn't wait to do it. He was just so willing. It wasn't irksome to him. Nobody had to coerce him. Oftentimes in God's work, you almost have to twist somebody's arm up their back to get something done. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be willing and want to do things. Even when it comes to giving. 2 Corinthians 8 and 12. Paul says, if there first is a willing mind to give according to what a man has, not according to what he doesn't have. But first of all, there's got to be a willing mind to do it. Have you got a willingness to serve the Lord? You say, well, I'm not too sure what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. Have a willingness to do it, whatever it may be, and God will soon show you. But he's looking for a willingness. He wants a heart that's willing to do something. And if you've got a willingness to do it, you'll find something in God's kingdom for yourself to do. He served lovingly. He loved his master. He, he wanted his master to be blessed. He wanted God to bless Abraham. That was his heart. We read that in a couple of places. <coughs> that my master may be blessed. And so that was his heart. This wasn't just lip service. It wasn't perfunctory. This was something that he wanted to do willingly and lovingly. It makes a difference when you want to do something lovingly, where your heart is truly in it. 2 Corinthians 25 and 2 talks about King Amaziah, a king of Judah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, but not with, the King James says, a perfect heart. The new King James uh, amplifies that a little bit better. It says, not with a loyal heart. He had a divided heart, an unfriendly heart, it means. And what a difference it makes if your heart is loving and friendly. And loyal is a big thing. This man served his master loyally as well as lovingly. There's a difference between, by the way, being loyal and being faithful. Faithfulness is doing the job for the person who asked you. Loyalty is being for the person who asked you to do it. And there's a difference. You may be faithful in your job, in your workplace, to carry out your duty, that you may hate your boss's guts. You shouldn't anyway, you hate anybody. But you get what I mean. You can do it <laughs> but actually, you're faithful, but not loyal. You're not loyal. Faithfulness is 
Doing for loyalty is being for. Happy is the person who can do both. Joseph, when he was a slave, when he was a servant to Potiphar, he did both. He was faithful to carry out his duties. In fact, that was why he was promoted in that whole household, that everything was under his control because he was faithful to do it, but also because he was loyal. He was loyal to his master, even to the point where his master's wife, day after day after day, threw herself at them. He was a handsome young Jewish slave, and she couldn't resist him, and she kept throwing herself at him. And if you read the story, he said, No, my master has put everything in this household under my hand except you, his wife, and I will not do this and sin against God. And she repeatedly came to, you know, the story where he ran away. He ended up in jail over it. Why? Because he was loyal. He could have been faithful and continued to carry those duties, but become disloyal and slept with his master's wife. But he wouldn't do that. Why? Because he was loyal. He was loyal. Amasa was faithful to David, but he wasn't loyal. His faithfulness came to a cross on the road. And then he sided with Absalom, David's son, who tried to oust David from the kingdom, wanted to kill his own father. And Amasa sided with him, thinking that David's kingdom was finished. And here's the new kid on the block, so I ain't going to go with him. Big mistake. He paid for his disloyalty. And so there's a difference between faithfulness and loyalty. So let's be faithful and loyal to Christ first of all. Most importantly, faithful and loyal to our master. Not only that, he served enthusiastically. Didn't complain about the difficulty of the task. Didn't moan and groan. Didn't have a pity party. Chances, the stakes were very high. Get this wrong and the consequences are great. Because this was an important choice to make. And it fell to him to make it. Why? Because, I said a moment ago, it was an Isaac that his seed would be called. It was an Isaac that multitudes would flow from. It was an Isaac that the tribes would come from. It was an Isaac that the Messiah would eventually come from. It was an Isaac that the Messiah would come from that would change the world. So this is a big, big choice that he had to make. A scary choice. And he only got one shot at it. He couldn't go around all the girls in the town. He had to get one go at this, and he's got to get it right because everything is hinging on this decision. But I'm sure there was, <laughs> I'm sure that his pulse was racing whenever he stood around that well that day and he started to ask those questions. I'm sure there was a nervousness within him. Who, who wouldn't be? <laughs> and I'm sure when she answered the right way, I'm sure the hair stood in the back of his neck. And even at that, he waited. Am I really right? Is this right? Did I get this right? You can, you can tense the tension there. 
But boy, he was enthusiastic. He couldn't wait to get at this job. He couldn't wait to get out there. Enthusiasm comes from two words, en theos, en God. And we, as God's servants, all of us should serve enthusiastically. Yes, I know there's times in our humanity we have a moan and a groan. Yes, I know there's times we're tired physically. Yes, I know all of that. But generally, there should be an enthusiasm to serve the Lord. I remember years and years ago, before I ever, ever, ever come into church work, ever, I used to work on night shifts and day shifts and morning shifts. I remember coming off night shifts when I was tired, wanted to go to bed, but there was something really needed done in the church. They're asking volunteers, I would volunteer. I'd go two or three hours, do that, then go home, go to bed, go to work the next night, back the next, night, the next morning and do that. Why? Because I wanted to do it. And I was enthusiastic to do it. And I didn't know then that not only did God see that, but my pastor saw that. And he saw that desire and that enthusiasm. And eventually I came in to the ministry. Be enthusiastic. Whatever you're asked to do, do it enthusiastically. Don't moan and groan and gripe about the whole thing. Just get on with it and do it. Yes, okay, I'll allow you a wee moan now and again, for I have a wee moan now and again too. You think I'm such a great saint that I can't have a moan? Ask my wife. No, second thoughts, don't ask my way. <laughs> you may reveal too much. But generally, have a heart for this. Do it willingly, do it lovingly, do it loyally, do it enthusiastically. And he served wisely. Wisely. Knowing the importance of the task, he prayed and he sought the Lord. Now, there's some things, there's some things you can do without too much thought about it. A practical thing that needs to be done, put your hand to it and just do it. But there's other things that you may be asked to do and you're going to have to pray about it and say, Lord, how do I do this? Give me wisdom on how to handle this because this is a big thing. At least it's big for me, you may say. It's way beyond my pay grade. <laughs> so I so said, Lord, I need your wisdom and how can I handle this? What can I do to do this the right way? Verse 12, then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day. Lord, I need success in this. Unless you give it to me, I'm not going to have it. I can't do this simply myself. I can't go out there and just pick a girl for my, for my master. I just, I just can't do that. Well, I could pick any girl, but that's not what he wants or what God wants. So I need your wisdom. I need to act wisely and, and carefully in this thing. That, by the way, is the only, it's only the second recorded prayer in Scripture. That prayer we just read. Every time you read a prayer, think about it. It's important. The Holy Spirit puts it in there for a reason and encourages us 
to pray for wisdom. Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. We need more than our hearts anointed, we need our heads anointed. You can have a pure heart, you can have a right motive, but you need wisdom. You can have a pure heart and a right motive and do it all wrong. Now, because your heart's pure and because you have a right motive, then God helps us in those times because he sees your heart, but he wants us to be wise. And so, that's why Jesus said, Matthew 10, 16, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. So to have our hearts pure, to have our motive right, but yet to be able to have wisdom to do it. Now, we don't always get it right. We don't always use wisdom. Sometimes we think we're doing the thing right and we're not. We just don't get it right. But our heart is to do it right. We want the wisdom of God. We want to say, Lord, help me do this. I'm not sure how to do it. But Lord, give me the wisdom to do this. And it's amazing if you pray that prayer, the wisdom that God will give you. The idea will come to you. A thought will come to you. Ah, I never thought of that. You wake up somewhere and, ah, I never thought of that. I'll try that. And sometimes it's the wisdom of God that he's given to you, pushes our way so that we can receive it. But you have to pray for it. You have to ask God. <coughs> he served unselfishly. Did you see in verse 33 and how that food was set before him to eat but he says I will not eat until I have told about my errand. I will not eat until I have told about my errand. They had made a long, long journey, over 500 miles. They were tired. They were weary. They were hungry. Their bellies were empty. But he said, I am not even going to eat until I tell you what you need to hear. I've got a message I need to tell you. And so he was unselfish in his serving. If you're going to be a servant of God in the truest sense, then you're going to have to be unselfish. Why? Because many times it's going to be so inconvenient to serve right at that moment. But you're going to have to do it anyway. Do you understand me? Lots of times you will not feel like it because of the inconvenience it's putting you to, but you're going to have to do it if you've got a servant's heart. So you're going to have to put the task ahead of your own time schedules, your own time constraints. You're going to have to just do it. Are you willing to do that? Because if you are, you'll be tested. <laughs> you'll be tested. God will make sure that he's going to call upon you at some time Whenever you felt less like it, and it seems to be the wrong time, and all the rest of it, but you're going to do it because you've got a servant's heart. 
That's what it's like in God's kingdom. Yes, there's joy in it. Yes, there's pleasure in it. Yes, there's satisfaction. Yes, there's fulfillment. There's all of that. But, but you got to serve. When Wilson goes out at Easter time, that 40 days carrying that cross, it would be lovely, Wilson, if the sun would shine on your back every day and you're able to stand on T-shirts. But some days I drive past and the rail is belting down and he's got the cross up and he's got the hat on and I look at him and he's probably perished. It's not very convenient, but he's there doing it. Lots of you do stuff in this church that is not convenient. And it involves different time constraints, but you do it because you've got a servant's heart. Jesus was completely unselfish in his service. Hungry, tired, weary in body, slandered, lied about, betrayed, forsaken by friends, and yet in spite of all of that, he said, I must be about my father's business. When he was 12 years old, he, he set a marker down and you can watch from he set that marker down. He was about his father's business. The night comes when no man can work. Therefore, we must work while it is day. Jesus said to his disciples about what he was going to have to do, what he's going to have to go to the cross. He says, how I am straightened until it is accomplished. <laughs> totally and completely unselfish. Even when he got into a boat for disciples to take him to the other side just to get a wee break, just to get an hour's rest, the people ran around the shore and were waiting on him. And he didn't say to the disciples, listen, let's head up the shore another bit. No, he got out of the boat and he ministered, tired and all as he was, because he had a servant's heart. Because he had a servant's heart. What is it going to be with us? Are we going to have a servant's heart? Are we going to serve willingly, lovingly, loyally, enthusiastically, wisely, unselfishly? Because that's the heart that God looks for. Now, from time to time, we can fail in any one of those points. But he looks for a heart that wants to be like that, that wants to serve God. And there's joy in serving him. There really is. There's a pleasure, there's a delight in serving the Lord. And you never lose by serving in God's kingdom. God will fulfill your heart. He'll make dreams come true. He'll take you further than you ever imagined you could ever go. But he wants to see those steps of service. People that's on this platform have servants' hearts because they take time out of a busy schedule to practice and to work hard so when it comes Sunday, they can lead us into the place of worship. There's lots of stuff around being done that you don't even see, and it's done by people with servants' hearts. That's what makes churches tick. And if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have a church. Can you imagine coming in some Sunday morning, there was nobody on this platform because they all decided, you know what, I'm so tired, I'm just not going to even bother. <laughs> He'd be up in arms, wouldn't you? But they don't. Yes, there are extenuating circumstances. Yes, there are times through physically or 
difficulties people's going through, bereavement, <laughs> sickness, illness, whatever, when they just can't do it or work or whatever. But generally speaking, they do it because they want to do it for the kingdom. And they do it willingly, lovingly, loyally, enthusiastically, wisely, and unselfishly. And that's the heart of the master. Amen? So tonight, God willing, I want to finish this off. And I want to talk in part two, but avenues for service. There are a multiplicity of ways that you can serve God. Because you're listening to me this morning and say, well, what can I do? I, 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 nothing I can do. Don't listen to that lie. There's lots of things you can do. Trust me. Adaptability in service. You've got to be adaptable to serve the Lord. Availability in service. You've got to make yourself available. Anointing for service. There's an anointing to serve God. I remember years and years ago when I was asked to come into quote-unquote full-time ministry. And I looked around and I said to a girl in the church, and I genuinely meant, I looked around at all the other men and I said to her, why in the world was I chosen to do this? When I look at other men that I felt was much more capable, were, certainly were gifted, and all the rest of it. And she said, David, you made yourself available. They didn't. And I hadn't even thought of that to them. She says, you made yourself available. They didn't. And that was the difference. Lord, I'm available. Whatever. I didn't know I could do anything, but I'm available. I didn't realize that would take me from that point to this point, simply because I made myself available. So are you available? <coughs> we'll look at these things tonight as we close in this great story. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.